Hello, and welcome to This Week in the Ancient Near East, the podcast that takes archaeology exactly as seriously as it deserves. I'm Alex Jaffe, director of the Bob and Ray Institute of Archaeology at the University of Southern North Dakota at Hoople. With me, as always, are two academics from real institutions, Professor J.P. Dessel of the University of Tennessee and Professor Rachel Hallett of the State University of New York at Purchase. We're speaking to you from the Mile High Lounge at the Grace L. Ferguson International Airport here in beautiful Hoople. Today, we're taking a different tack and looking at a number of archaeology stories that have garnered global attention, like evidence for an earthquake in Iron Age Jerusalem, a strange African rat with poison hair that speaks to changing climate in the Paleolithic, and other weird and exciting finds, including a missing basilica. What brings these various stories together? How do Dapper Dan men and the site of Buffalo, New York fit in? Is there a deeply scientific method to our madness? One thing is for sure. If you live in an earthquake zone, keep your key in the door. So here we are. It's the end of summer uh, roundup, uh, tropical storm edition. (laughs) And uh, so because we're doing hot takes today um, with... uh, pieces that are ripped from the headlines, um, the lightning round will, uh, will reflect that. And so the question is, the hottest place you've ever been? Oh, that is a good question. <laughs> I, have a, I have a lot of, I have a couple of responses. Uh, but if you want to go first, Rachel, you can go first. Well, I'm going to just go with two responses that I think equally boring. One is a lot in August. Okay. That is very hot. Yeah. And one is maybe four years ago at the small site of Khirbet Sumali near Tel Hesse in the Negev when there was some sort of a scene going on and I thought I was going to die from the heat. So, yeah. <laughs> How hot was it? <laughs> Pretty darn hot. Hmm. <laughs> Professor Dessel? Um, there, I have a, a bunch of responses that all sort of cluster because they're all just like, it was so hot you could fry an egg on the pavement kind of thing. <laughs> One was, uh, believe it or not, at the City of David in uh, August. Mm. It gets really brutally hot sometimes. It's and, all those stones. Yeah. And, and I, the holiness. It, it must have been a hamsin or something, but that was incredibly hot. And then another was uh, Lake Turkana in northern Kenya. Hmm. Yeah. That was just ridiculously hot. I you mean, can see I, why people, like early humans, would want to just get away from there. Though. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Be- between that and the, like, you know, 12-foot-long allig- uh, crocodiles. Yes. Oh, wow. That was, uh, that was extraordinarily hot. And then, and then uh, you know, in uh, at Tel Tainat, you know, it was, it, it got... It got over 110, you mm. know, at, at like one in the one in the afternoon, and you know, it just felt like I was going to melt. <laughs> the, the real feel AccuWeather temperature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. 
So I would just cluster those all together. That's very reasonable. Well, the whole heat thing in Lake Turkana, that's an interesting evolutionary factor. Yeah. And then and then where where'd they end up? They end up in like Europe being chased by cave bears. Right. It's like this is not what we signed up for. Right. <laughs> but um all right. Well, my, so what's yours? My example is uh my and it stands out is the is the site of Gasul. Ah in the uh, southernmost Jordan Valley near the Dead Sea on a, on a, a toasty July day. Uh, the, it, was, it was definitely up in the, I don't know, <laughs> uh, it's hot enough to melt zinc, <laughs> I think. And that was the, the first time, the only time I, I think that my, my eyeballs actually were sweating. <laughs> You know, it's a little-known human <laughs> attribute that after a certain temperature, these these you know dormant sweat glands in your eyeballs start to squirt. Right, and uh, maybe and that's it, why camels have double lids. Oh, yeah, that could explain it. <laughs> well, we've we've answered a lot of evolutionary questions here today already, and we haven't even gotten started for real. I know we haven't even gotten started. Well, maybe it's uh, maybe it's good. <laughs> so uh, we we thank our listener for their interest and ask them to check in again next time. But uh, so so shall we do some hot takes on on yeah. some uh, on some hot stories? And uh, okay, so we were gonna we were gonna do a timer. Yes, put on your timer. Um, and I, I picked out a very obnoxious alarm. Excellent. So I all think that way. will... All alarms should be as obnoxious as possible. <laughs> I suppose, yeah. Uh, but I, but it, I should probably caution our, our listener if, if they're driving or if they're, <laughs> if they're trying to put themselves to sleep listening to this episode. Okay, here we go. Um, earthquakes in Jerusalem. Evidence for... In the Iron Age, new uh, new report. Thoughts? I think the most important thing is it might get people to actually recognize that that Amos and Zechariah were prophets. Mm, Those are true. probably two of the most underread books in the mm. Hebrew Bible. Right. right. Yeah, they've got some good stuff there. Yeah. Um, I always like thinking about this earthquake because I like <laughs> <laughs> really. Yeah, I, I like the correspondence between text and archaeology. That's that's the thing. So every time yeah. someone finds earthquake evidence from around the right period, I think, oh, that's so nice. <laughs> and when they find it from the wrong period? <laughs> well, then it doesn't have to do with Amos's earthquake. So All right. yeah. Well, why is it nice? Don't you like textual correlations to archaeology? Uh, not uh, biblical ones. I don't care about because it's the well is so poisoned that I don't. I just don't care anymore. I it just it leaves me with nothing. I, really? I have no feelings about it other than somewhat, you know, negative. So you like, care about non-biblical historical correlations? Yes, those I care about. Really? So you yeah. have an anti-biblical bias? A little bit, a little bit, <laughs> because because it's just it's too much. It's so much. It's you know the food here is so bad and the and the portions are so large. <laughs> you know it's that yeah, kind of a thing. It's an old story. It's an old story. It's a tale as old as time. <laughs> but, well, I have I have one um one earthquake story. Ah. Um. I, I. And I had this conversation with um with the late great Ruth Amiron. Okay. 
um, who was this wonderful grandmotherly figure, uh, the doyen of biblical archaeology in Jerusalem, and I got to know her a bit way back in the day, uh, being like when she was alive. Um, and she would talk about the 1927 Jerusalem earthquake, yeah. which uh, shook everything. It killed hundreds of people throughout mandatory Palestine. It, uh, there were landslides that, that actually uh, stopped the Jordan River from flowing for a couple of days. Oh, wow. You can make that's... biblical correlations there, you know. Yeah, all right, all right. Let me, finish, let me finish the story. <laughs> but she, what she said was that after this, she never, ever went to sleep w without the key in the door mm. so that she could scoot out as soon as, uh, as, soon as the, the, first, the first tremor uh, hit. And that's probably good advice yeah. for anybody who lives in earthquake territory, like in Jerusalem, where the you know the big one is overdue, unfortunately, and uh, or California, which is due to tumble into the sea any day now. Yeah, but, but Jerusalem, I think, is the architecture in Jerusalem is is ill fitted for earthquakes. It's all stone. It should be. I mean, wood is the best material for earthquakes. That's a good point. But the yeah. houses were, I guess, until recently, or the structures were relatively low, like, you know, not that many stories high. That's true. That's also very true. And especially in 1926, it probably was a lot of, a lot of low slung architecture. <laughs> right. It was very in in those days. <laughs> and apparently in the Iron Age as well. And that's how they figured this out, because the walls all tipped over in one direction. And, uh, and who knows, maybe, maybe our poor pig that we, did we talk about the pig? We did we talk, I think we pig. talked about the pig, yeah. Maybe that's what did the pig in, is uh, tectonic, tectonic uh, porcine, <laughs> <laughs> porcine murder. <laughs> but uh, certainly we caution any listeners who are in tectonically active areas to keep the keys in the door. Right. And to have, have an escape route. Um, you know, the big, uh, the big earthquakes out in California I don't know why people live there. I'm much more, I'm much more afraid of earthquakes than almost any other kind of natural disaster. Really? Not drought. Not not tornado. Well, drought, no. Really? Tornadoes, tornadoes, maybe, but tornadoes are a big crapshoot. Um, or so earthquakes. No, say. earthquakes, you're sitting there, wow. you're, here's, here's the San Andreas Fault, it's like a tourist attraction, <laughs> you know, there's big cracks in the ground, oh, we're going to build our, our city here, um, no, I just, and that's the thing, it defies, it defies explanation why people keep going back to these places. Well, that's true, actually drought, the more I think about it, that's actually much more scary, because it's more realistic that it could, it's could happen. ha it happens all the time, and it's going to happen more and more, and in the West, it's, it's really getting bad. Yeah. yeah, it's one of those 500 year cycles or something. But, yeah. So. As, you know, we're global and we get our produce and everything shipped in from everywhere. So it can affect us even we don't, don't think it's gonna right. affect us. So yeah, that's, that's an issue. Um, but here's- where, with this where, are today's, where are today's Amos and Zachariah? <laughs> Maybe they're making podcasts. I don't know. There's like three or four guys in Knoxville that absolutely believe they're today's Amos. Really? 
Oh, yeah. Maybe they are. Maybe you need to pay better attention. I don't think so. <laughs> See, and that's the problem. I, I am oh, the problem. Of ye, of ye of little faith. I, I that that would be me. Just look up <laughs> ye of little faith in the in Wikipedia, and you'll see a picture of me. Right. So, because this is hot takes, we didn't. I didn't go back and read any of the. Wait, you hear that? <laughs> wow! Isn't that obnoxious? It's a klaxon. Yeah. Oh, now I don't know how to turn. <laughs> Turn it off. Wow. Oh, yeah. oh my all right, god. You gotta get that. There we go. All right. Set it, set it again and we'll go on to number should two. Should I all right, should I try a different alarm? That's no, even no, less. No, go with the that was good? Yeah. Well don't make it go now. <laughs> I'm trying. Thank you. <laughs> set. And start. Okay. Okay. Story number two. This is the Basilica in Ashkelon? Yes. Why, why don't you tell us the story of, of what has been lost that has now been found? Oh, so <laughs> this is right up your alley, Rachel. This it is, is actually. What you do. Yeah. It, it totally is. Yeah, it's good. Um, so there's this basilica that they found in Ashkelon, except that they had actually already found it back in the 1920s. Well, who's they? They is John Garstang of the <laughs> British Palestine Exploration Fund. Um, he was the head of the um, Department of Antiquities of Palestine at that point, right, I believe. He was, right, right. And um, Wait, what year was this? I just wrote the 20s. I didn't write the specific year. Oh. Uh, Sorry. But, it, right. No, you're it right. It was 1927. And that's what he got kind of jangled after the earthquake. <laughs> um, I believe this was before 1927. Oh, all My right. impression is the early 20s, but I'd have to look it up. Um, in any case, uh, that so so it was recently re-excavated, and it's a big deal. And it's got all this marble and marble sculpture. Um, and I thought this was kind of interesting. They're going to do a restoration project. Um, so we can see this, this uh, Herodian period, which is actually mainly a second century reconstruction being reconstructed in the 21st century, if that made sense. It gave its life for tourism. Right. It, it, I just like the, the whole lost and found thing. I Wasn't there a basilica over here the other day? <laughs> you remember John, John ta talking about a basilica? How do you lose a basilica? That's a good point. One thing that struck me about this story is, which, or well, theoretically about the story is I'm hoping that as they dig, they find and tag and process the artifacts that they find from Garstang's excavations. Because a lot of people who are re-excavating sites don't save those 19th and early 20th. I centuries. want a list of their names. <laughs> <laughs> well, I certainly don't have that. <laughs> no, yeah. you're right. That, uh, you know, uh, Bill always used to mention the kinds of things they'd find from McAllister when they mm -hmm. were excavating Gezer. Right. You know, teacups and spoons right. and... Uh, coins and things right. like that. And then the newer <laughs> excavations um, at Gezer, um, I know they found our, uh, artifacts from, uh, from McAllister and I know that they were saving them um, and like tagging them and treating them properly. So <laughs> very happy Okay, like so I, I had that experience at, at Megiddo many years ago. I'm digging this trench and like, oh, you, these Chicago, University of Chicago wingnuts kind of got to this area before me. What did I find? Like, Bakel, uh, a Bakelite comb. That's exciting. <laughs> right. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, it's not exciting. <laughs> it's not exciting at all. It's just, it's, it's garbage. It's not even, it's not even ancient garbage. It's just garbage garbage. For those of us who study the history of archaeological excavation. Oh my God. Here we go. That's what I'm going to say. 
Obviously, <laughs> it's not garbage. And and you know, in this country, you're citing, you're you're excavating like colonial period sites in the Northeast and the Southwest, whatever, and you're finding materials that are only a couple of hundred years old. And of course, you save those. So you know, what's wrong with? Well, I'm not saying you shouldn't save it. I'm just saying that. There's... But I actually think it's kind of interesting. I mean, let's let's reconstruct the process. Yeah. Some eager Chicago graduate student is in the trench, and and it's just <laughs> he bends lunch, over. and and he or she, but um, probably a he, feels the need to comb their hair before they <laughs> before right. they have a tuck into a tasty repast <laughs> before hitting the tennis courts. That's so they're right. combing their hair in the trench as opposed to taking notes. Right. Right. right, and then some guy comes up and says, "You know, Habibi, we have a we have a late Bronze Age temple that's coming up over there." One minute, one minute, just a minute, just hold on. <laughs> Can you see I'm combing my pompadour? Exactly. Right. <laughs> now, if you had found a little a little canister of pomade right. with a big light comb, right. then then I think you'd have a a very different view of this. Well, that's certainly true. We could find out whether they were a dapper Dan man, <laughs> among other things. We would be learning a lot about the culture of, of Americans in the Middle East. Um, <laughs> they were all dapper Dan men. That's what I'm afraid of. Clearly not affected by the heat, wanting to keep themselves looking good at all costs. Well, they did. They were a. They did set a high high sartorial. They did. Yeah. Well, my and that's another indication of of uh, global warming. That all of these um, excavator, all these archaeologists in the 20s and 30s were wearing tweed and mm -hmm. wool and you know and hats and and ties. Yeah, I mean, you know, boy, you couldn't waistcoats. Couldn't, couldn't even come close to doing that now, right? Uh, in winter or summer. So uh, yeah, they and they're they, schwitzing their brains out. They set a very high sartorial, uh, uh, you know. Right, and but there and there are a very very small handful of people today who emulate those. Not in wool. Not in wool. No, we're all smarter than that. We're not going to wearing wool. I'm thinking about a couple people I've seen pictures of in Egypt who were wearing. Egypt. Oh, in Egypt. Oh, yeah, well, they do that. It's, 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 it's a special case. It's a dry heat. <laughs> <laughs> right. Where do you even get boots that lace up to your knees? I guess the Peterman catalog. Right. Yeah, I'm sure you can write. I'm yeah. sure Filson has a couple of pair. Right. Yeah. Uh, they'd be very expensive, though. But so they, that's, that's a, they'd be American that's a look we don't engage in in our part of the Middle East. We, we just... <laughs> oh, boy. That I think that I think that little uh, uh, snippet has the least content <laughs> yet of anything we've done. Right. Well, let's see if we can we go lower. I don't even think we it's mentioned possible. Herod. <laughs> no, isn't Herod coming up in in? Uh... No, this was Herod. We just this didn't was Herod. Oh, was oh. <laughs> For some reason, I thought Herod was a standalone item. No, no, no. Herod. The basilica dated to uh, Herod, except yeah. the main period of right. it's actually Severan. Uh, so. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. We'll we'll allow another twenty seconds for that. <laughs> we'll reset the shot clock. All right. Um, okay, so moving on to number three, and we press start. <laughs> Rat bones. Rat bones. Rat right. bones and climate. Right. 120,000 to 40,000 years before present. Species of rat bone found in Dead Sea caves indicating that the climate was much greener and more, 
more pleasant. It was a green and pleasant land, kind of like England. Oh, I guess. I'm not sure pleasant. It says humid, <laughs> more humid, wetter. Well, it said greener. Greener is inherently more pleasant. Okay. okay. But maybe not. Um, I think the most interesting here, thing here is that these rats were <clears throat> related to East African crested rats yes. who have long hair. Yes. So, so these are the beetles of the rat world. <laughs> <laughs> it said they were porcupine-like and yes. they had poisonous manes. Yes. <laughs> the whole... Right. I and I'm trying to figure that part out. I looked, yeah. I looked them up. I looked at an image and oh. it looked like a cross between a porcupine and a skunk because they've got some sort of white black thing going on too. But how do they know the mains are poisonous? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who's the, who's the guy who's okay. <laughs> okay, Bob, closer, you look closer. Yeah, yeah, you, closer. Right, you, you lick that mane. Right. <laughs> oh, did you hear Bob lick the mane? Uh-oh. Is, is it the train? Should I? All right, I'll I'll stop the clock. Or <laughs> it doesn't really matter. No, stop the clock. I'll stop the recording for a second. I'll pause it. All right. Okay. All right. So these these poisonous quaffed rats. <laughs> <laughs> They're also dapper Dan men. Yeah, really. Uh, I I I would like to see actually what I what I found most interesting. I'd like to see all the all the faunal remains and what they represent. Right. You know, what else was going on? You know, six foot long hedgehogs, you know, <laughs> tiny sloths. What, what else do we have to deal with? That's here? the best part of going to the Museum of Natural History yeah. in New York. And you're seeing like, oh, here's a tortoise the size of a, of a Volkswagen bus. Right, exactly. Um, are, are there like, you know, mega, mega toads of, of <laughs> some sort in, in the Levant in this period? Right. Um, yeah. Well, it's something we don't talk about. Well, you know, the, although we do know, for example, that there, there are hippopotami in the in the middle Paleolithic that are being hunted by by humans. Yep. Okay. And so they're they're big critters around. Right. Yeah. Right. But I think the point we should probably say the point of the article. About this discovery. <laughs> hold it. Hold it. Yeah. We yes. said nothing about the point in the Herodian Basilica, <laughs> so I don't think we're incumbent <laughs> on us to. to you know. <laughs> You're right. For the encouragement of the masses, we should we should point them in the right direction, but we no, can't no. make them drink. No, Rachel, tell us the point. Oh, fine. I'm going to tell you the point anyway. So um, the point is that these these poisonous whatever they are um, needed this warmer, wetter climate to survive. Therefore, the fact that they're found in the Judean desert caves means that it was warmer and wetter there, and that they had a crawl out. Oh, oh, and the other point is that probably because these rats were able to leave Africa and and come to the Levant, humans could have done it too. So I think that really goes, we will follow. <laughs> I, I would never I would never have thought that. <laughs> right. Uh, okay, so I have to get this out because now again I only read the article. I didn't read the the Jerusalem Post or whatever uh, article. I didn't read the deeper actual reports. No, that's research. We don't do that. We didn't do that, right. So um, so the first humans left Africa 1.8 million years ago, and apparently they passed through Israel only 100,000 years ago. Modern, the modern hominids. Okay, but still, if they're leaving, right, so if they're leaving Africa more than a million years ago, then they're only passing through Israel 100,000 years ago, or are you telling me you're talking about two different groups? Two different groups. Okay. Either that or they stopped at one of those, you know, one of those interstate rest stops for a really long time. <laughs> right. 
All right. Good. So my point was, was the usual be, thing. The guys, they don't want to ask directions. The, 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 the women homo erectus are like, why are you asking directions? Um, my point was going to be that as often is the case, the newspaper article didn't really make that clear because it mm. shouldn't take half a million years to go from Africa to Israel. I think we've all learned over the last 20 years or so that mainstream media does its does the best job of obfuscating things than, than bringing clarity to anything. Yeah, if only, if only professionals would write clearly for the lay public. If only there was some kind of platform where they could, where they could do that. Ah, it's too much. You mean to... like a podcast, maybe? <laughs> well, no, we're trying. We do our, we do our little, little bit to obfuscate as, as much as possible ourselves. I think, we, I think we appeal to a wide audience. I think we aim to appeal to a lay audience. I think well, so. That's true. We are the 20th most popular podcast in, I don't know, Slovakia or something on, on these topics. <laughs> um, in any case, is there more that we want to say about that? It hasn't, your alarm hasn't gone off. I'm kind oh. of amazed. It's not yet six minutes. It feels like 10. Uh, no, it's yeah. 20 the, seconds. The director, the director behind the curtain is going, stretch, stretch it out, stretch <laughs> right. it out. Right. It's, uh, well, we could just, you know, pause for, pause thoughtfully here. Air. Yeah. And, uh, but I think yeah. we also knew that the climate was warmer and wetter from other It sports. always gets, it's warmer, it's drier. Okay, done. All right. Good. <laughs> I still don't know how to use this damn thing. That is a really obnoxious sound. Oh, jeez, man. This is a really obnoxious. What's okay. next? Okay. Oh, what is next? Um, 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 oh, olive oil. Another so topic. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't know we were doing the olive oil one. Okay. I thought we had agreed. <laughs> we had a, we, we took a meeting. We had a quorum. That's <laughs> there, was, there was a vote. I'm happy to... Put it back into my rotation here. Okay, olive oil in the Iron Age. I'm for it. <laughs> it's it well. So, so here's here's the thing. You know, the the Philistines down there on the coastal plain of what is now Israel, in what they used to call Philistia, producing scads of olive oil, gallons of it, hundreds of gallons, which we've for, known for you know a good thirty years. <laughs> right, and which we all had a personal hand in. In, right. in, in not our, making the oil, but excavating the apparatus for the. That's oil. right, the apparatus, <laughs> dread, the dreaded apparatus. <laughs> How often do we get to use that that, that phrase? <laughs> well, that tickled someone's funny bone. <laughs> All right. So, so aside from the fact that we all excavated at a Philistine site with a right, but now and and that and that site, uh, uh, should we say its name? Sure. Telmikna. Right. <clears throat> Famed as the the Neo Assyrian Empire's greatest uh, producer of olive oil within this gigantic imperial system, where regions were specialized. Blah 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 blah. blah. What do you know? 10 miles away, five miles away, tell us, Safi, they're doing it earlier. They're doing it like, what, what did he say? 200 years earlier? 
Well, he said 11th or 10th, but it seems to be big in the 9th century. Okay. As so, Mikna, which is big in the 8th century or 7th century. Right. Right. I guess I guess size counts. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, don't, don't make me say it. Um, um, yeah. Okay. So it's it's new. It's interesting. It's a discovery. Um, I was under the impression that people were making olive oil 4,000 years earlier. <laughs> but it was only an impression. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the impressionistic olive oil uh, production of the of the Calcolithic and early Bronze Age. Well, the yeah. other the other strand of this article. So mainly, it was about Gath having olive oil earlier than Mikna, but it was also that um, Judean sites like the Shemesh also were producing olive oil, um, and so the the Shvela or parts of the Shvela. Uh, were producing olive oil as well. So it wasn't just these these Philistine sites conquered by Assyrians. It was also Judahite sites. Right. Lots of olive oil being produced in the Levant for a very long time. Right. I think that's and, and such large portions. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, is, so is this a surprise or is the surprise over the surprise the real surprise? Ooh. Or is it is it all just about marketing? Everyone thought Mickney was the big producer, and now we have to remarket the whole experience as being a <clears throat> being a Telgot, uh, right, right. Uh, uh, more central to the whole thing. Right. It's all branding. It's all branding, but it's also interesting, and I think it was the excavator of Gat who pointed this out, either privately or in an article, probably both, that, that you know, God is strong and exciting, and then God, <laughs> and then God, God is great. God wanes, and everyone picks up, um, you know, after after the waning of God. God, God rules and meekness rules. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> um, <laughs> until the opposite goes into effect. Right. And, but isn't that, isn't that surprising that one site one site has a you know sophisticated economic adaptation, and then some, something happens, and another site picks it up because everybody like likes olive oil. You know, I was just trying to come up with an analogy to like EVVO. EVVO, right? I was I, that's good. Um, to East Coast cities, like we've never had a case where like New York has been really big and exciting, and then it wanes and Boston picks up. We've never had any sort of thing. Oh no, that's not true. Actually, um, after uh, after oh, that American studies major is finally coming. <laughs> well, <laughs> when the British captured New Amsterdam, um, everybody was like, "Whoa, what's happening?" And then Philadelphia and Boston became much more, at least for a while, more prominent. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Look at a site. Look, a site. Look at a site like Buffalo or Rochester. <laughs> That's actually a very good analogy. Um, so sites like Buffalo, um, the, the site of Buffalo, yes. New York, um, had a population of almost six hundred thousand in nineteen fifty. Now it's barely a quarter of a million. Um, are you saying that that Albany replaced it? Did you say Albany? I don't even remember. No, Rochester. Rochester. Rochester also, which and Rochester was a one a one industry town. Right. And what happened to that to that industry? It it faltered. <laughs> and and now the the now Rochester is kind of 
below below Meekna. It's sort of at the Herbert Sumali level. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to push that's these analogies too far. No, that's actually not not an uninteresting analogy. Oh, thank you. <laughs> no, not, not uninteresting is my is my middle name. No, 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 no. I mean, it works well with the rise and fall of smaller cities as opposed to the major metropolises, metropoli of of the East Coast. The alarm was supposed to go off, but now I seem to have silenced it or something. Right, just yeah. say beep beep, and. <laughs> Beep, 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 yeah. Um, okay, our last, should we go on to the last story? Yeah. Uh, and this is, this is a perennial favorite kind of a thing. The discovery at the site of Troy <laughs> of the Trojan horse. <laughs> right. Which dominated the headlines for a good, I don't know, Two, three days. Two, was it that much? Maybe. And it caused it was a caused a spate of of interest on the on the interwebs, and you know our trained analysts were picking up chatter <laughs> on all sorts of channels. <laughs> so it's a it's a topic that we have to address because uh, apparently some people digging found some wood. Right. Is that is that about what the story was? Sort of. Yeah, they, the, the story was that archaeologists found wood in a, I think I wrote it down, planks and beams that were assembled into a strange form within <laughs> walls of ancient Troy. So obviously the Trojan horse. Um, but the real reason we chose to talk about this story is because obviously, obviously that's not true, but the whole story seems to be some sort of a hoax. And um, not only is it a hoax, it's a hoax that was published uh, I think seven years prior to to this publication, but so it's, a, it's a it's a hoax without an expiry date. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good point. Some hoaxes are just too good to to give up on. Right. They just, they just keep coming. And right. and they 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 fade and rise and fade like like waves or. Right. So apparently, what happened was there was a Greek news site that republished it after seven seven years after it had published it, which was then picked up by the English language Greek reporter, which was then picked up by places like the Jerusalem Post, the well-respected English language newspaper out of Israel. Um, and um, I oh, did, probably other did you say well-respected? I did. Okay. I'm just, <laughs> it just, it just, it just woke me up out of my torpor. So why why the interest well, well, in, in Trojan, in, in horses, Trojan and otherwise. Can I just go back to the hoax just for a second? Because oh. the two archaeologists who were cited as having excavated it, one is a real archaeologist who works in, <clears throat> who's, who's not from Boston University, as the story said, but she's, I think, in a university, maybe it was Australia or Britain. I didn't write it down, unfortunately. But so she's a real person. She does work in the Aegean, but she has nothing to do with the site of Troy and has never found a Trojan horse. And the other person does not seem to be a real archaeologist at all. So, so like there are obvious things wrong with this story that had nothing to do even with, with the archaeology. Okay, so that's an interesting question. Is this, it, it, it's, it's a hoax, it's made up, but how was it made up? That, or, that, that, or, did somebody just take some names that were, they found on the internet and they 
created this story or was there something at the beginning that got horribly, horribly garbled? And, and, and what was the motivation for propagating a pretty, pretty much they probably knew that it was a hoax from the beginning. Right. Um, that's an interesting question too. Um, In capitalism, the profit motive underlies <laughs> all, all hoaxes. Well, it acts to suppress the consciousness of the workers. Or was it? <laughs> <laughs> that's our Marxist interpretation. <laughs> now we go on to, <laughs> we hear from the rest of the committee, the central or committee. Was it just to see if they could get away with it? I don't well, know. I, I think... I think one of the rejoinders suggested it was to increase re ad revenue for a, a, a flagging newspaper. <laughs> where's where's my crock? I'm going to start banging it on the table, Khrushchev style. Yeah. We, we will bury you. Right. Um, yeah, these things are also they are cyclical. And but the Trojan horse and you know Homeric literature doesn't have the same kind of cultural resonance and depth that biblical stories have. And I always, I always go back here to, to the whole Noah's Ark thing. And I think that, I think we were all together um, a number of years ago at a professional conference where somebody gave a, a professional paper about the discovery of Noah's Ark on Mount Ararat, right. um, which is, which is also cyclical. Right. And I have no doubt that they found some wood or something but it's it's the interpretation right. and the motive and the motivations behind the interpretation that are the that are the interesting thing right. to me well right. the only difference really between the biblical and the the homeric is you know one one resonates with people's modern religion and the other is more more purely cultural so there's less at stake but there's still you know I think there's been as much interest in proving the Trojan War to be true as there has been in proving the Bible true. Yeah, well, certainly in the certainly in the 19th century. Yeah, right. but but the stakes are are much less. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I suppose that there are Greek nationalists who really, really want this kind of thing to be true, but it's not a that's a more particular kind of <laughs> you know appeal rather than the global appeal of of yeah. a religious uh, of a religious text. Right. right. <clears throat> but um, but it's also kind of shocking that places like the respectable Jerusalem Post picked up on it without researching and checking it. Um, that that's, I think, possibly the, the, the worst aspect of this. Um, doesn't anybody do their homework anymore? No, <laughs> no. OK, let's not know the answer to that. Question. All right. Don't even get me started. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's the the intern on the night shift kind of thing who has to fill a certain number of uh, certain number of columns on the on the website or whatever right and um, but I like this idea of of kind of inventing inventing somebody I didn't we didn't we invent a site as a hoax one time uh, Oh man! And we actually convinced a young graduate student that they need to learn about this site. Man, we were bad. Yeah. We're bad. We're bad people. <laughs> we <laughs> are. Bad things have happened to us. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, 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 karma's not necessarily instant, but it will it will get you. Yeah. But uh, but there's such a there's such a, a market for these things. Right. Stop being so <laughs> stop being so interested in archaeology, people. 
<laughs> if there's one thing that this podcast is going to do, I hope it's going to kill the public's interest in archaeology. No, 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 no. It's going to, <laughs> it's going to reintroduce the fun into archaeology because everybody. Oh, right, 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 right. Seriously. That's the right. goal. Right, 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 right. And people need to just relax and stop taking it so seriously. Well, but how will they fill? How will they fill opinion pages in in other in other sorts of newspapers with Jeremiads against <laughs> against podcasts if if uh, if they if they don't take it seriously? I think that's beyond our grasp. Yeah, yeah, or no, even aspiration. There's a metal level. There's a metaphysical level. It yeah. goes to the spiritual, really. It's a spiritual void that, well, maybe we can fill that. Hasn't it been six minutes yet? No, no, I didn't turn the thing on. <laughs> it, was, it was making such a racket. Well, depending on how you look at it, that was richly enlightening. So as always, we'd like to thank Eris Dessel, educator in residence at the Savannah Music Festival for our theme music. We'd also like to thank our longtime sponsor, the Dumont television network the only place to see captain video and his video rangers nightly at seven to get in touch leave us a comment send us an email at this week in the ancient near east all one word at gmail.com or send us a postcard at p.o box 1177 boston mass 02134 <laughs>